0: Hello and welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the CEO and co-founder of Law in Sport. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law in Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, as well as get to meet some and know some of the key personalities who work behind the scenes to keep sport running and improve it, uh, whether it's on a, a commercial side, on a governance side, on an integrity side, um, or for a participation side. Thank you as always for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. I'm delighted to welcome a good friend, a Law & Sport editorial board member, Alex Kellam, who is also, and <laughs> in terms of her being a good friend and a Law & Sport editorial board member, uh, more impressively, um, she is an experienced commercial IP lawyer that leads Lewis Silkins' firm-wide sports business group. She has particular expertise in the sports sector, advising brands, marketing agencies, other IP-rich businesses, and a range of commercial and brand and marketing issues. She's worked in various roles, including some in-house that we will come on to. She is one of the world's leading experts when it comes to anything related to ambush marketing and special legislation around sports rights holders uh, need to be aware of when they're implementing in relation to major events. Honestly, I can say this truthfully, if there's anything about ambush marketing, is there anything particularly around Rule 40 Olympic Games, Alex is the first person that, that springs to mind that we go to to, to, to get an opinion on, on, on those issues. Alex, thank you for finally agreeing to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: You're very welcome. Hi, Sean. Hi, everybody. <laughs>
0: um, for those of the people that don't know you, um although probably a lot of people in the community who practice in the community will be very familiar with you um and i don't think you mind me saying this i'm gonna embarrass you but you're quite an understated person right you just go about your business you're quite humble in, in my opinion um in our opinion you don't really you know blow your own trumpet right you just crack on and do the work and you're very uh focused and it's something that i really appreciate in terms of your approach um but before we get on to your career how did you where was the starting point for you to one get into law because a lot of people don't know your your previous background
1: yeah so law came to me by surprise if I'm honest with you um I had not contemplated at all while I was at school and I actually started a completely different degree in uh, marine geography of all things Um, (laughs) for various reasons um that wasn't as suited uh, to me as I'd hoped Um, and as part of the course I'd opted to do an introduction to law I think it was um, intended to go on and do marine insurance or something like that Um, but I loved it I got captivated by it straight away and I thought you know what I'm gonna just pull that plug and um, I applied to do law at Nottingham and so I spent a semester doing marine geography and then swapped and started doing a law degree and haven't looked back since um, but yeah, quite unusual, I think not to have a, a legal passion as I was growing up. I didn't even watch, you know, any of the legal shows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, um, you were a top level swimmer also. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell people about sort of your career? Cause I think. Knowing you, it's given you, your, your experience has given you sort of a deep compa- uh, compa- compassion for other people in terms of, you know, with their career development. I know something, you're one of our mentors on our mentoring scheme. But I think I may be wrong with this, but I get the impression that it's something that's impacted in terms of how you perceive and interact with people in the sports sector.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got a real passion for sport generally. I feel that sport gave me a massive grounding to life. Um although as a as a teenager, I wasn't particularly focused on my career, certainly not a career outside sport, because it was all I was thinking about. It has given me so many skills. So I, I swam at a high level, sort of 20 hours a week in the pool, I had a great coach, um, great teammates, and um, it gave me opportunities as well that in retrospect sort of helped me build academic skills and um, social skills. Uh, for example, in my year out, off, out after A levels, I went into schools, because it was pretty much the only thing I could fit in around training, I went into schools and went to their swimming lessons and talked to the kids. So I was learning present presentation skills there and there, I did quite a lot of media work as an athlete. Um, and um, you're, you know, you're scrutiny all the time and it makes you pretty robust as well you know everybody knows exactly how you perform to the second um, or the millisecond um, and there's no hiding from it um, so yeah I, I feel that swimming's given me a huge amount and that passion for sport which I've been able to um, transfer into a legal career but again that wasn't something that I designed so it wasn't until I was at university and they started encouraging you to Apply for training contracts. That I really realised that there was such a thing as sports law, um, but it was at that point that I thought, ah, well, of course I want to do that. <laughs> so I just applied for training contracts with um, firms that did sports law, and was very, very fortunate to find some uh, a, a training contract in um, yeah a, a very good firm which got my foot in the door.
0: And and so when did you start sort of actually? doing some sports work or working with sports clients?
1: Um, So, as I said, I got my training contract with um, Farron Co, who at the time acted for a number of the big governing bodies and the British Olympic Association. I think they still do act for a number of those clients. Um, And I think my first couple of seats, I didn't have much exposure to sport, but I'd always been identified as somebody who wanted to do that type of work. And uh, fortuitously, the athens olympics showing my age were coming up and the british olympic association were after a seconde so i was put forward for a nine month secondment um sort of from the beginning of 2004 and um over the the period of the games uh to to help their single in-house council um uh, sarah friend who's now at table tennis um, and it, it was it was a brilliant brilliant experience i don't think i'd done much if any sports work before that point um, but it it gave me a, a brilliant grounding particularly on sort of the commercial and the political side of sport i'd say that the main things i was doing there was um dealing with ambush marketing related issues um, and Dealing with things in relation to something we thought would never happen. If we're completely honest, the <laughs> bid for the London 2012 Games. You know, it was a real long shot. We really went for it. I was, you know, um, really invested in trying to work out what the legislation we might need to introduce would be, and um, helping Sarah um, on the, the the documents and working with the bid team behind the scenes. Um, but i I was a very small cog at that stage but it really lit a fire and um i was incredibly fortunate really to have that as the introduction to the olympic world um so that when i was a year qualified and we to everybody's surprise won the 2012 bid um i was in a great position to move to low cog and in fact was um Asked almost immediately to um, to join the team and started in September 2005.
0: And what was that period like? So I haven't actually published this podcast, but I did a podcast with Tim Jones, um, uh, who was uh, in uh, Freshfields, uh, who led, led their sort of Olympic world, but was in the sort of general counsel for the Rugby World Cup as well. Um, think it was the 2015 Rugby World Cup. I did this interview that's never seen the light of data I need to probably publish at some point because it was great, but we just sort of missed the moment. But it, it, the one thing that struck me with that he said is that being involved in, in his opinion, being involved, as a, I think he was a managing partner, I think, for with uh, London office. And he was saying that being involved in a mega event like that basically gives someone about 20 years worth of experience in about <laughs> in, a, in a much shorter time period of about five or six years and he said so it's just in his opinion he just thought it was a fantastic training because you see so many different variations of contracts of uh development of stages was that was that a similar experience for you or
1: yeah um i mean the, I, I was there for seven years and it was just a phenomenal um development that happened in those years so when i started the the organizing committee actually hadn't been set up yet i was employed by the bid team still we were in that transition phase even though we had won the bid and i think we were 70 people in total and by the end of it oh i hate to think how many employees we were but you know then there was another seventy thousand um uh volunteers and you had all of the um olympic delivery authority staff as well it was just uh, a mammoth, an absolute beast, and the organization um, of the games took so many different me- moving parts, and it was like a beautiful orchestra coming together and i 'm really proud to have been a tiny part of that um, and I think the one takeaway I would say is, yes, there was a lot of variety in the work and a lot of um, interesting things happening, but the best thing about it was the the people who were involved were without a fault just incredible individuals whoever was doing the the recruiting at the top level and then that trickled down recruited brilliant brilliant people and you can see now where they've all gone on to and a lot are still in the sports world particularly on the legal side um in in some of the biggest roles in sport and um without that pure sort of um, people resource, if you like. I don't think the games would have happened. Um, and the, that problem solving, willingness to work together, ability to work incredibly hard under pressure, but not get down about it um, was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, this is really, you know, that'd be a good person to speak to, actually. Now you've said that. It's like, who, 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 who was the person behind selecting the people? Because they something I've heard from a number of people that they're impressed with the focus of the team at the time. In terms of now, when you're saying this, how desperately sorry do you feel for, for Tokyo at the moment? Knowing knowing how hard it was, to, you know, without a... Obviously, there was a lot of um, issues around, the think, terrorism at the time. It was a huge concern um but we didn't have a pandemic um and I didn't need to the games didn't need to be postponed how do you what goes through your head every time you kind of look at
1: oh I I'm absolutely gutted for them and I can feel their fatigue I think it's the you know we in the last year or so the games were we're running on fumes and it's you've got that end goal in sight which just sees you through and you know frankly you're looking forward to the games but you're also looking forward to the break afterwards and it you you just had this momentum to carry you and to have had that rug pulled from under them um sort of 14 months ago or whatever it was and told no you're not doing it this year and hopefully next but we don't know and it, it must have been hugely hugely um damaging you know to that morale of everybody i i don't know enough people over there to be able to say how they're handling it um i hope that the olympic spirit is shining through and they are persevering and certainly that's what i've seen in the athletes that i work with now um but yeah i it makes me feel very grateful but despite all the you know, negative press and things that we inevitably got, and um, you know, you can see happening with Tokyo now um, that ours was really very, very smooth.
0: Um, yeah, because there's so much work goes into it. I can't, every time I think about it, I'm just thinking because they, um, you know, we've actually got an article that we're republishing from Jack Anderson, Professor Jack Anderson, on this, all breaking down sort of the legal uh, host city agreements. And again, it was a stretch, it's really difficult, and, and you know, the economists, uh, sports economists always look at this in terms of where's the real return on investment from hosting Olympic Games. And yeah, London was one of the better ones uh, uh, delivering on that. Um, but in Tokyo, they were already stretched already because they'd gone over the budget. But anyway, that's a, another a separate conversation. Um, so then you, we deliver the. Or you say, we do you like that? I'm claiming credit for it. I was there. <laughs> I, I, I turned up to it some was of the events. <laughs> yeah. The whole country's effort. <laughs> um, the. Um, so you deliver the games and then what happens?
1: Um, I stood back and went, uh, oh, what next? <laughs> I to be <laughs> completely honest, I did not know what I wanted to do or or where I would be best placed. And local set it up very well so that those of us who'd been there for any length of time were given sort of career counselling. Um and I spoke to various people. One idea I had was I wanted to become a sports agent. Um I, you know, had can, you know, I had thoughts about maybe doing something not legal at all, but ultimately it was something that my boss Terry Miller said to me, and she just said, Alex, I think you'd be good back in private practice. And without her uh even mentioning that, I don't think I would have contemplated it. But when I started thinking about it, I was like,
0: oh,
1: yeah, maybe this would give me, you know, the um the ability to work with lots of different sports organizations because I think what I had realized from my time at LOCOG was that nothing was really going to beat that um, and I know a number of local colleagues might have gone on to do other events like the um, 2015 Rugby World Cup and I'm sure they did have another great experience but for me I didn't want to kind of go to something that I knew would be a, a poor comparison
0: <laughs> yeah um, it's a great point
1: so I thought okay well this would be a complete change Um, I was very uh, lucky to already have made some great contacts in private practice who were up for talking to me about uh, a move in that way. Uh, And I must credit Brinsley Dresden, who um, is now a partner um, of mine at lewis Silkin, And um, my eyes were open to it. I think because I'd left private practice so early at one year qualified, I didn't really understand if I'm on the business side of it and the opportunities that are there. And um, yes, it comes with its pressures. But they're just different pressures that you get in an in house role. So um, yeah, I I went for it. I joined Lewis Silkin, and um, don't regret it at all. It's been brilliant. Um, The firm has been incredibly supportive as we've grown the sports practice and um, uh, letting me sort of Find my feet um in a private practice role. Obviously, you come from you, you haven't got that natural uh cohort of clients that are coming up with you. I joined as an associate um and made partner in in four years and sort of had that time to to build my practice.
0: And and there was a period where you were ahead of sport and you weren't a partner, if I remember rightly. Yep. I think there was a period because I remember thinking. That was, at the time, I thought we were starting to see this a little bit more now, but at the time, I remember being, oh, that's a vote of confidence. I think there was uh, Liz Ellen was one who then got made up as well. I think she was the other person that I saw as an associate. Um, She was at the Michigan Deray at the time, now at La Vida Sport. But, but, yeah, she was the other person who who I think got a vote of confidence as an associate, which I thought was uh, anyone familiar with private practice firms set up traditionally is something that normally they want to see a partner in a head of role, um, which I thought spoke volumes in terms of the confidence they must have had in you.
1: Yeah, no, it was very flattering. And um, I think it, it it recognized the network that I built up um, while I was at, at LOCOG and uh, my drive, I suppose, to want to grow our practice and move it forward, um, which uh, hopefully we have done. Um, it's certainly thriving at the moment. and. Um, we have a a client list which is really quite enviable and it it makes me very happy.
0: (laughs) And and how did you go about, you know, as i said like uh, <laughs> yeah we're mates so i can say this type of thing i think i hope <laughs> we can always edit it out if you don't like want me to um but you always take a, a um i think a rather healthy view as as do some of our other colleagues in this in the sector right that that uh, you know what we are there is competition in the market but you know what we're all in it together type of thing and there's enough work to go around you've always taken quite a, a collegiate i would say approach um you know and you're very. Um, as it, like, like, you, you, you're, We always talk about you know our model being inclusive rather than exclusive. and I, was, I always say that I put you in that category of like you're always looking at being inclusive, right? To the point where, yeah, you know, we've had conversations in the past where you've recommended other people to write on certain topics to speak. You've stepped in and hosted, you know, uh, sessions for us at the last minute without wanting any like like big profile or anything else, just because you think you know, it's a great thing to do to support you. Obviously, on our mentoring scheme as well as a mentor. How do you? Yeah, I really would like to, because I think it'd be so helpful to others to hear what your perspective is on that in terms of how do you you grow, like, you know, it is a competitive marketplace, but how do you grow it in a way that, you know, you keep your ego in check at the same time, which is, you know, I think you do really well.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, I suppose I am super, super competitive, but I also have very, very high um, aspirations. So, you know, for me as a swimmer, I, I achieved... Great things I, I I got international medals, but I you know my dream was to be the best to be winning Olympic medals and to be breaking world records and I never got there um, but I suppose in the same sense you know ultimately that's what I'd like to do in sports law you know I want to be seen as um, right at the absolute pinnacle, and I know i'm not there yet, and I know that um, to get there you've got to do lots of hard work you've got to um, play the game is not the right terminology, but you know you've got to what the room, you've got to learn, you've got to be willing, you've got to invest your time to become that better lawyer. And um, there's no easy way of doing it. And you're certainly not going to be doing it by cutting down other people. Um, So I think you've got to compete in the right way, is what I would say. And um, the, you know, you never know who's going to be across you in a negotiation or who's going (laughs) to potentially need to refer somebody to you because, um, of a conflict. And it's just not in my nature or frankly, in the nature of the firms, um, to be, um, that sort of angry or nasty. (laughs) Um, so I'm very glad that's the case and I don't have to put on that other face that might be, um, less collegiate.
0: But I love that. I love, I love that as a, Concept of in order to be better, I have to accept that there's other people out there who may know more information than myself, and that uh, it's also useful they have a different perspective to actually understand that perspective. Uh, it's a bit like, uh, I guess, from a sports perspective, understanding your competition strategy, right? To a certain degree, you know, have an appreciation for if you're, you know, using a football as an example, you'd want to know all the tactics rather than just be ignorant and go, "Our way is the only way, it's the best way." Because you, at some point, you're probably going to get a nasty surprise. But also recognizing the human element of this, which is there's a way to conduct yourself in a way that is, you know, beneficial. Like you can get ahead and be nice at the same time. I just like that. It's something I, I really appreciate. Um, you know, you don't ask for any profile or anything else, like you know, you just not something you do. So I'll say it on this podcast, I think it's important to say I really appreciate all the support you do. And you know, on the mentoring, you know, you've been absolutely fantastic with them with them with uh, our our mentees. And as I said, I know that there's as always with these things, we're all trying to progress and be better, and you know, it all you know, sort of comes around in the end. But I also I think there's a you know, you've got a very nice way of dealing with it that, that I said it's not like you're always saying You know, oh, I need to make sure that I'm, this is mentioned, like, the amount of times I've introduced you at conferences and got your introduction, so wrong. (laughs) Right, Mr. (laughs) Key Bits, and you've never said, you know, hey, you know, you forgot to mention this or anything, so I appreciate that humility. In terms of then, sort of where you're at now, or, you know, what's the work that, that, two things, I've got two questions for you. And I'm terrible at doing this and you know, I need to go, I need to go on a course to how to do interviews really. <laughs> so, but I've got two questions. One, I'll start with the first one, I guess. That was a good place to start. So what's the piece of work that you're kind of like most proud of that you've been involved with out in private practice that oh. you can talk about? Because <laughs> it's never a problem,
1: right? <laughs> um. Um proud is the right word i mean there's loads of things that i can think oh this was really interesting and this was uh, what's, what's the most
0: interesting piece of word then
1: um oh gosh you've stumped me i know i've got to select one thing um, Okay,
0: okay well, i guess I could- no, I could say, okay, well, give me a couple, give me some, some examples. examples of then. Right. So, so I know this is a problem for people because when you say one, immediately people go, Oh, I'm going to upset <laughs> someone because I don't mention this piece of work. So if you'd give me, you know, give me a, a couple of examples of some like sort of the most interesting work you, you think, you know, for a personal perspective, do you just found that was either fascinating or? challenging at the same time
1: yeah well I, I suppose the first thing I'd say is that I'm not going to mention ambush marketing or brand protection at all so although I think a lot of people who are vaguely aware of me probably think of me as that being um, my specialist area it's actually a really quite small amount of my work um, it is interesting it's good fun I enjoy doing it but in terms of the stuff that is um, really challenging and um, I'm, i I suppose I am proud of it, it drifts much in more into the commercial zones that I'm doing far more of now. So um I do a lot of big sponsorship agreements. Um we had one uh sometimes it's advising the, the rights holder, of the sport, sometimes it's advising the brand. Um I advised three on their shirt deal with Chelsea and without going into any um huge details, it was incredibly fast-paced. Um and we worked with uh, Bird and Bird were on the other side. Um, I think I can say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uh, and you know, together the the Chelsea lawyers, Bird and Bird ourselves, you know, it was it was heads down. Let's get this done. And um, that that was really enjoyable and intense. Um, I guess I was proud of that one. I've done some really interesting work for one of our clients um, called Superna. Who do virtual advertising, um, and that is just, um, you know, fairly novel. And you know, trying to get to understand how their tech works and make sure that was appropriately reflected in the the commercial agreements I've been doing for them. Um, and uh, it's got elements of technology, software licensing. Um, there's some standard service elements they hire uh, and rent some equipment out so that was quite um an interesting complex piece of work in quite a new area and also with them i've done um quite a lot on the regulatory side so looking at the regulation of um virtual advertising uh, and thinking about the different considerations that you need to take on account when you're doing global broadcasts and overlaying advertising in different countries around the world and whose laws might actually apply i think that's one of um, the most
0: i agree i think that's one of the most interesting areas and i agree on the commercial side just mm. in terms of yeah everyone needs to get live to this <laughs> like, yeah is yeah, in uh so um yeah, I, I like the fact that you're interested in that area because then I find out more about it because of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that, that
1: sort of crossover now between advertising and um, broadcast and different ways of delivering media, um, I find really interesting. Uh, and they're kind of all merging together. So I've been doing quite a lot recently around um, video sharing platforms, duly um, regulated um, and I'm working with a, uh, a new VSP to the market. Um, just trying to work with them on, you know, how their model actually works commercially. Um, looking at their T's and C's and um, making sure that they're going to be compliant with the law, user friendly for for their um, uh, customers, um, will be fit with traditional uh, broadcasting models. Uh, and work in a way that's not going to tread on the toes of rights that have already been granted. That sort of thing has been been really interesting too. And that's something that's uh, current at the moment.
0: And in terms of stuff that's outside of your, your work, um, and this can be your colleagues' work, it can be stuff outside of the firm as well. Um, what's the stuff that you're sort of like paying attention to. Uh, We should have mentioned, obviously you're on a a board of uh, a governing body of sport as well. I've
1: been on... The british swimming board almost for seven years so i've only got wow. another year left and then they they chuck you off and they do and they do loads of really
0: great honestly like they the ash who's who's there who's 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 brilliant they do some great what i feel i feel yeah i need to get him on the podcast because they do some absolutely fantastic but it just doesn't really get again if you haven't got a problem no one hears about it as such yeah. right uh from a governing body perspective they've been doing you know, particularly on on, on um, some regulatory matters and you know, good governance and stuff. They've been really uh, doing some progressive stuff. So in terms of like stuff that you're doing, you know, outside of your day to day, what is the stuff that sort of, you pay attention to or you're interested in?
1: Um, I always find the sort of big picture, almost geopolitical aspects of sport interesting. Um, you know, whether it be things like the European Super League, you know, um, and how that can so radically um, capture people's imagination <laughs> and cause so much angst. Um, the, the differences in how sport is governed in different countries. So I always find the US models, um, whether it be at college level or in the professional sports over there and things like the draft systems and what have you just understanding how sport can be done differently um i uh, what else um that that sort of power shift between athletes teams federations leagues you know where the power lies and how commercially you know the it's those commercial levers that really change that i find really
0: interesting and is that the reason because you mentioned early on when we've been at low cog the, the thing that or B- the BOA, the British Olympic Association, that the um, the political side interested you at that moment mm. in time. Is that because of the impact that it has? Why, does, why is that, do you think?
1: So I don't think I'm a particularly political person at all. Um, I don't really like it, uh, in, whether it's in traditional politics or sports politics. But the fact that there is so much of it, and I think I hadn't, appreciated before I'd really started working in sport, how um, it it really does drive a lot behind the scenes. And the the fact that, you know, you have these big elections for presidents of um, federations, and what have you, and it is like a a political election, um, I find very odd you know for me sport is about what happens on the field of the play and should be all about the athletes and yes they're they're making money to fund the sport and all of those things around it but that political aspect i find fascinating but it's not something i love it's something that i'm quite wary of um and wish frankly that sport could do without um but it is there, and you've got to sort of navigate it and understand it. And
0: um... I wonder if we went for I wonder if we went for a, different, a sort of similar journey because for me it was about you know everything that we do is about trying to make the law accessible to people wherever it is. And you know, we were talking, talking about you know before we started here. You know, ironically, now most of our corporate members and their members are the they're the kind of the leading players in the market, whether they're in-house teams or whether they're um, private practice. But yet we still got 30,000 registered members and the majority of which are using law in sport, whether they're attending our events or anything on just free accounts, right? They can just access lots of information for free. Um, So initially I thought, well, if we can understand the law better and explain the law better to people, that will resolve, that will lead to um, better outcomes just within itself. And then you go, well, actually, if I don't understand the economic environment, then maybe some of the stuff that we cover, we can't cover the the issues that we need to because we don't understand that. And then you go, well, oh, hold on, that's not the full picture either. We need to understand the political environment because the political environment is what shapes the laws, the regulations, the governance. And so, like you, I'm not hugely into the politics of um, of sport or politics, just generally. Although it's just kind of it's almost like a necessary evil. You know that it goes on and that's how the world works. Therefore, you have got to understand it. And yeah, we we had we've been speaking to. Some of them are mutual acquaintances, whether it's on the editorial board or people that we just know who are in sort of more uh, policy roles. And it's one of their big bugbears um, is that there's not enough emphasis in the sports law community or legal community on the politics in terms of they don't appreciate how policies are developed and shaped. Um, Do you think that's going to be an area that the that lawyers coming into sports or need just almost as a necessity? There's like, you know, there's Simon Ralf at SOAS who's doing all the sort of sports diplomacy stuff and Richard Parrish have been... Um, and the guys at Edge Hill and a bunch of other academics have been uh, Johan, Linden, I think have looked at this sports diplomacy as a from a European Commission perspective do you think that's going to be something that we're going to start to see almost become like a mandatory module let's say if anyone was you know uh, or compulsory let's say if you're going to get into a legal role within sport or at least if not compulsory it would definitely be beneficial
1: um, I think it would always be beneficial I think it depends on what role you're doing um as to whether it's essential or not. I think you can be a, uh, a commercial lawyer without understanding the, the bigger picture, you know, certainly at a, a, a lower level. Um, but yeah, so, sort of as soon as you get into the, the federations or the, the big leagues, I think understanding that politics, you know, as a lawyer is really, really important.
0: And finally, what is it that you look for in people you're hiring? Because it's one of the things that, that I think is, As well, you know, we, we run a recruitment division. We, we've, uh, um, you know, worked with a lot of people. And I just don't think it can be said enough what people really look for, because often <laughs> people who are looking for jobs or, uh, seem to do everything other than address the actual issues that, that or the, 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 the let's say, demonstrate uh, the characteristics or the skills that the people are really looking for. So what is it that you look for in colleagues?
1: um i i I believe that you are going to succeed best in whatever you're passionate about and whatever you enjoy doing and i also believe that you're generally you generally enjoy what you do well um so if you're good at something you'll enjoy doing it so i guess it's a a blend um enthusiasm is really really key Um, and in a cv being able to demonstrate that enthusiasm by showing that you've done a variety of things around the thing that you say you're enthusiastic about um so if you want to be a sports lawyer and you've got nothing on your cv that reflects a passion for sport um then i would be concerned
0: um, and that's not that's so, so i just don't a, think
1: it means that you have to
0: so you're probably going to say what i was going to ask you coach. sorry
1: <laughs> yeah it doesn't mean you have to have been an athlete it doesn't mean that you have to um you know have done all your coaching courses or or something like that. But. Um, Maybe it's that you've written in your school journal, uh, you know, or your university newspaper on sport. Maybe it's that you've volunteered at a major games um, and big plug there for Birmingham 2022. Um, Their volunteering scheme is now out. You know, if somebody has that on their CV, oh, you know, they've given their time to something that they're passionate about. Um, They, um, you know, don't necessarily have to be the biggest fan of every sport and spend every minute of their day watching sport. But it definitely helps if you've got a passion, as I said, because that passion will lead to enthusiasm and dedication and hopefully um, uh, good performance. Um, that said, I do think you absolutely need to have that grounding of good academics and that good, um, uh, those basic skills. Um, I think interpersonal skills are crucial to me. You know, you, you don't want somebody who's going to be, um, you know, wrapped up in themselves and and, and not outgoing. Um, although a lot of what we do, particularly in private practice, you know, you are working on your own for a lot of the time. It doesn't. You, you have to be a team player. Um, in in whatever job you do, I think, unless you're sort of an artist or something and just sit in a room (laughs) churning out (laughs) paintings. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So somebody who is a recluse would would not take my box for recruitment. Um, But beyond that, um, I'd like to think I'm pretty open-minded. I Certainly uh, academics, while I've said are important, I don't think you know the the biggest thing on the page certainly if you've got a a first from oxford or or cambridge i might be thinking oh, well what else have you done with your life <laughs> rather than um thinking oh that means i must hire you
0: it's interesting um, that right because because the you know it's, it's interesting that you know a bit like in in the, in the startup world right where people had mbas from stanford and stuff it like started to actually count against them right because everyone was like okay We've got enough of people like this. We need some people with you know, other backgrounds and other experience to sort. Of, again, if you're looking at a team, and I say these people can't be valuable. Of course, they can be. But I guess when you're looking at, it, you're going, "Well, what does what our overall uh, you know, organization look like? You know, how diverse is it? You know, both you know from all the metrics you can imagine, but particularly also sort of like diversity of thought and backgrounds." Um, Yes, I think it's a it's an interesting point. Um, do you think that, I love the fact that the, the, the key thing that's come across is the commitment side of it, I think, from from what you said, though, which is like showing that you've got, that what you say you're interested in, you actually are genuinely interested in. And that, um, you know, um, certainly when we speak to people in recruitment as well, they say that they don't want people who are just going to uh, use stuff as a stepping stone, even though they, they might want to progress. And of course, they want to have that ladder. They don't want someone who's just going to be, you know, use, you, you know, basically use the organisation, use the work just to literally to, and then just, just to leave, right? They're not they're not really being genuine about their um, aspirations, let's say. It's slightly different if someone's giving it their all the whole time and they say, hey, this isn't for me, <laughs> right? I want to move on. I want to go to in-house. Do you agree with that or?
1: Um, I mean, being used as a stepping stone sound, sounds like you're, you're, you're saying that in a derogatory term. I mean, I, I'm completely happy with people being ambitious and people wanting to develop their career. I think so long as they are open-minded about, you know, what that stepping stone can be internally, you, you don't want to feel like you are being used, or or um, the, the the time that you invest in someone is is wasted. But at the same time, you've got to recognize the reality of life and that that people do want to progress, and that if there isn't the opportunity um, within your organization, that they are going to go elsewhere.
0: So really, then, sorry, I've got probably, uh, probably being a bit too casual with the explanation, but really, it's about the integrity of motivation, right? Mm, In yeah. terms of Lala, like, if yeah, because you do want to, you know, we we hire people, we want people who are who are, you know, really driven and they've got bigger aspirations than just working for us, right? Because that's the type of people you want to attract because they can add the most. Um, but you know, the reason why I say this is there's, you know, I see definitely see a trend where you know people are saying the right things. But deep down they're not really meaning it. And then when they end up in the right position, it doesn't kind of work out as they expected because there's not that necessarily that integrity there. Um in ter- in terms of um what is sort of like um what does the future hold for you now? Obviously you're doing great guns, you're really busy. Um <laughs> I know because I've had to squeeze in. I've managed to persuade you to squeeze time to this. Um, what's the sort of, you know, the future plans either for you or for or for the group?
1: Um global domination.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why not? (laughs) I think,
1: as as I said, you know, I'm ambitious, and I want the team to be a success. Um, We will always look to opportunities for for growth. You know, we have very broad coverage in our sports group in terms of the different areas that we can tick off. I think we, we consciously don't do anything in anti-doping at the moment. And I don't, Think that's something we're going to change anytime soon but there may be areas that we can strengthen and build the team with so um, whether we do that organically and from within or whether we hire um there are definitely you know scope for growth um, i think the market positioning and and trying to make people understand just the quality of work that we do do and that we are Able to service um, the needs of sports organisations at the, the top top level um, has to be a priority to to the business. Um, I think myself and everybody working in the team has that belief and knowledge, and now it's just making sure that it uh, projects externally. I suppose, as you say, maybe we are um, a little bit understated. <laughs> Don't shout about what we do enough.
0: Which is, which is a good thing, right? This is a challenge that we see though. You know, with with what we would call, let's say, the main players. Um, at times, is obviously because of the sensitivities, sometimes of the matters that you're working on, and you know the the, the, the trusted relationships that have been built over time. Is that um, it can make it really difficult to communicate that to the market, right? In terms of to, to potential new customers and others, as particularly when you're so busy. Anyway, I think this is a a, a problem that organisations, um, uh, whether they are law firms uh other professional service firms um never struggle with um i think it's a good but it's normally but a, nice
1: problems have they yeah right?
0: exactly that's what i was gonna say it's a good it's an indication of a, of a good thing Look, no, i think you know one thank you for doing the podcast i said it before i'm just trying to embarrass you but no, i really appreciate your support with law and sport there's a you know um there's a bunch of people on our editorial board who are just you know absolutely you know our editorial board as a whole are just absolutely fantastic but you know the one thing that is Common across the board is that no one really asks for i don't ask for much i right? give a lot but don't really ask for much and it's something that you know that we really d- deeply appreciate um and it's a bit that hopefully when people listen to the podcast they start to understand with all these different interviews and stuff like that that it is truly like more of a community as opposed to just you know isn't law and sport great we just publish articles and they look great right there's lots of hard work that people like yourself are reviewing you know identifying where areas we should strengthen and do better on and you know and again with the mentoring scheme yeah there's you know 30 plus people like yourselves who who give up their time freely to help and advise people that it goes unnoticed right and i think it's really important to sort of highlight that so thank you
1: (laughs) yeah no sean you don't you don't need to thank me i i should be thanking you i mean you've you've set up an incredible um platform which is you know useful academically beyond belief you know and the, the sort of you are now the go-to place for resources in sports so um as a practitioner that's incredibly useful but you have also created a network and you know um being hard nosed about it you're great from a, a, a development and <laughs> networking point of view so um i really should be thanking you <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this is it comes back to our earlier point right where that you were mentioning, right? It's kind of like sometimes doing the the, the nice thing, right, is a good thing. Both commercially, this is what we always say to people: is that you know actually knowledge sharing and being inclusive has huge benefits, you know, for the legal community. Where it kind of goes almost counter trend to a degree. But anyway, really appreciate it. I'm delighted to uh, get you on the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, you know, and you came in and did an amazing job for us on the motorsport conference. Did me a huge favor of chairing that panel. And as most people will know, if they tune into the football conferences generally always well not generally it's always better when we've got someone else other than me moderating <laughs> sessions you're actually far more knowledgeable so it's great um to thank you for that and i'll let you get back to your work but really appreciate you making the time out i hope you enjoyed it if you did enjoy the podcast we always say to people if you enjoy what alex said please do tell people about it please do share it um it's something that we really appreciate yeah we don't do any pay for advertising uh, we truly believe in you know the quality of what we do, um, and the podcast is here, so you get to know people like Alex and others, and that there are people you know behind the scenes who are doing great things. Who you know, whilst they are focusing on their careers, focusing on growing their business, they're also doing things that benefit the wider community. So, if you found this useful, if you like what we do, please do tell people about it, and of course. If you're interested in sports law, if you want to know more about sports law and the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, go to lawandsport.com. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, pretty much everywhere you can imagine. Um, And other than that, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, everyone.